From South Carolina Public Radio, this is the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on May 26, 2023 for my Toyota Corolla in Manchester, New Hampshire. <laughs> That's the first time we've uh, ever said something like that on the podcast now. But just so you know, some information in this podcast may have changed by the time you've heard it. But for a limited time, 0% APR on all new Corollas, folks. Happy Memorial Day weekend. <laughs> Actually, you can't do 0% on this economy. <laughs> now, in this episode, we hit the campaign trail with Republican presidential candidate Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina as he makes his initial swing through the early voting states of Iowa and New Hampshire following his campaign launch in North Charleston on Monday. Yes, this podcast is a bit long, but hey, it's a long holiday weekend and you can really take a deep dive with this episode. And I guarantee it will make you feel smarter and you're going to like the way you look. Now, the lead also loves hearing from everyone. That's why we have a voicemail back set up at 803-563-7169. Give us a shout. Tell us what you did on your Memorial Day weekend, how you're uh, celebrating to honor those who fought so hard for our country, as well as those continuing to fight for our country and everything that's good about America. Or maybe you don't like everything about America right now. Let us know. 803-563-7169. South Carolina Senator Tim Scott was on the campaign trail this week after announcing he was jumping in the 2024 presidential race with his announcement in North Charleston on May 22nd. Following his announcement, I hopped a plane to Des Moines, Iowa, where Scott held his first visit to the early voting state as a declared presidential candidate. His first stop was at a private Christian school in Sioux City, which is one of the reddest parts of the state that sits on the banks of the Missouri River and is a stone's throw from the borders of Nebraska as well as South Dakota. FYI, I got to go to Nebraska briefly, folks. Very, very beautiful. Beautiful country. Now, Scott toured the school, which has increased its attendance thanks to the growth of school choice in the state. And to measure, Iowa Republican Governor Kim Reynolds signed into law this year to use taxpayer dollars to fund vouchers for students to attend private schools. Sound familiar? That's right, because Governor Henry McMaster signed a similar law this year as well. Now, before this roundtable with educators, Scott briefly spoke to the media. There was about 10 of us and we were waiting for him to walk in and he shared his thoughts on being in Iowa. I love Iowa. It's been, it's been great. I've been back since, uh, I guess since 2015 when I started coming first for uh, Senator Grassley. Uh, I got to know the state, been here about 15 times since then. So it's fun to come back to a place that's starting to feel more and more like home. So people are wonderful, friendly, and frankly, the governor of the state has done a fabulous job. With, it has been my signature issue since I started my opportunity agenda, which is focusing on education. That education is the closest thing to magic and to be in a state where the governor celebrates that, I think is fantastic. Knowing that this school has perhaps doubled in size because of the, the new student, student scholarships is such a blessing to the future of this country, the future of the state, to see a state that's investing so heavily in their kids. So that's a, that's a good thing. One big question that South Carolina lawmakers have been working to address is teacher recruitment and retention. And that's obviously not exclusive to our state. Here's Scott responding to a question about his solution to that problem. Yeah, one of the things that we should do is, is uh, I guess, I have a, a bifurcate the question. Part of it would be on looking at the areas of high needs. So your rural communities where it's harder to attract teachers, 
I think there are lots of things that we can do and should do. We can accelerate the path of reducing student loan burdens, not as President Biden would do it at this point, which is canceling the debt, but having an incentive-based approach, which says that you're going to teach in areas, if you're willing to teach in areas where the need is the highest, that we should provide more resources. The second thing that I see that I'm watching and modeling, uh, there are some really great examples around the country. Success Academy in New York City is a charter school program that is about, I think, 85 or 86 percent African-American, Hispanic kids, uh, $30,000 or so is the household income. And what I see happening in those areas is their kids are producing better test results than your majority students in New York City because they have the resources necessary uh, to, to make a difference. And the resources, 50 cents on the dollar in the state. But what you see happening is that they have uh, donors and others who are providing incentives. So one of the things I thought to myself is that we have a school in uh, Charleston called Meeting Street Academies that actually pays incentives to teachers for, for test scores and, and better results. I would love to have a matrix that we can design to help to create the kind of results we need for the kids and compensate teachers accordingly. And so retention becomes a, a less of an issue uh, long term. But I also think that you provide more student loan forgiveness and you try to create an apparatus on the federal level that we're incentivizing uh, teacher performance on the federal level. Most of the, the decisions on resources will come from the state and the, the local level, as it should. But the federal government spends about 70 or $80 billion on on K-12 education, the local government spends about $700 billion. And so one of the things I like to do is get a, a big pair of scissors and start cutting some of the red tape that says, here's what you must do <clears throat> in order to get our resources, even though we provide 10 cents on the dollar. Sure. Uh, and so the fewer restrictions that you have on how you use the dollars, the better off you are. Some of the things I've heard from superintendents around the country uh, is that the COVID money that went out, it sits on, on a balance sheet because all the strings attached to spending the money makes it not worth spending it because you're obligating yourself to continuing programs that are more costly than the money that you get initially. And so they, they didn't spend the money. Um, and so I, I think those are just a couple of ways I would try to tackle some of the shortages that we have today. Senator Scott also took my question following the end of the event to respond to the latest outrage of the week. Comments by Joy Behar on The View on Tuesday saying that Scott doesn't understand systemic racism in America. Here's the clip from The View and Scott's response. And he's one of these guys who, you know, he's like Clarence Thomas, black Republican who believes in pulling yourself by your bootstraps, rather than, to me, understanding the systemic racism that African Americans face in this country and other minorities. He doesn't get it, neither does uh, Clarence. Right. And that's why they're Republicans. Yeah. <laughs> Well, A, she's dead wrong. I, I, I said two years ago that I've been, uh, I've been discriminated against without any question, though America's not a racist country. What I will say, though, is that what is insane and dangerous are people who are the liberal elites making millions of dollars a year trying to indoctrinate our kids that the only way to be successful in this country as a child of color is to be the exception. That is a lie, without any question, a lie. And it's a dangerous lie. The danger of that lie is that kids start believing that those low expectations set by adults determines their future. I can't think of anything more dangerous, more negative, and more absolutely insane than, than those comments. Hours later, he refined that response before a town hall event at Novelty Machine and Supply Company, a supplier that supports the manufacturing industry in the area. In a machine shop there, Scott shared part of his life story and vision for America to more than 200 folks who are evaluating the growing field of Republican presidential candidates, candidates who are seeking the support from Republicans 
will hold the first caucus in the nation just months away in January 2024. Here's how he addressed race to that group after an audience member asked. I've tried to be as uh, clear as I can be. Not, 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 I don't even need the stool anymore. You got me fired up here. So let me just say the truth here. I say this with all sincerity. A white lady telling a black man that I don't understand what it means to be black in America is not preposterous. It's not ridiculous. It's insane. It just is. I said, I said this in 2021 when I responded to President Biden for the first time, my first major speak to the, speech to the nation. I said, I have, been the, I have been discriminated against. I understand the pain and the challenges that come with discrimination. I don't hide away from that. But at the same time, I refuse to allow the minority of my experiences to color my picture. And it's one of the reasons why I said, after I said I had been discriminated against, I said, America is not a racist country. Because it's not. But here is the emerging prejudice I see in America. It's the liberal elite, black and white, that wants to tell me to stay in my place. That's discrimination. You want to talk about prejudice. The future of this country will not be determined by black or white. It will be determined by the quality of our education. Those same liberal elites trap poor kids in failing schools because they're wedded to big labor unions. They're more interested in keeping those kids trapped in their schools and trapped out of their futures. And they're going to talk about the great opportunity party. Give a brother a break. One thing we're not hearing from Senator Scott and other candidates on the campaign trail, unless pressed, is specifics about abortion bans. The South Carolina legislature approved the six-week abortion ban bill with limited exceptions during a special session called by the governor. McMaster signed that six-week ban, which is similar to the one that he signed in 2021. And like in 2021, the law has been challenged in the court, this time state court, which just granted an injunction. We'll have more on that next week, but I asked Senator Scott his thoughts on the measure as he was on his way out, even though he wasn't exactly taking questions. No, not really. I mean, I think the, uh, the, the state is trying to uh, protect the culture of life, and that, that's good news. I mean, I think the heartbeat bill is, is uh, a step in the direction of that. But Thank you guys very much. Thanks, Senator. Thank I spoke with some of those at Scott's town hall for their initial response to him and his candidacy, including Eileen Saylor, who has seen Scott before. I'm betting every single presidential candidate that's come through Iowa. But I really am looking for a candidate that has some chutzpah. I want a conservative. I want somebody who can stand up to the Washington, D.C. mess. I feel it's, I feel that we are in a managerial government. I don't like it. I, I really would like to see some leadership. I like Tim Scott a lot. I was excited about coming to see him. Yes, yeah, so you talking about change, you want to see some different things. Um, does he offer that message, in your opinion? I know you're, I guess you're evaluating everyone right now at this That's stage. right. Um, what I've seen or heard from Tim Scott so far, and I've seen him a couple different events way before this election cycle, but um, that man is 
he believes in America. He believes in the American dream. He's well-founded in faith, and he knows how to pick himself up by the bootstraps. He wants everybody to do that. I, I really like his message. While many Iowans are still learning about who South Carolina's junior senator is, they'll be hearing his message on the airwaves leading up to the August debate, thanks to a $6 million ad buy that kicked off this week in Iowa and New Hampshire. Scott had some $22 million on hand back at the end of March and reportedly has raised $2 million in the first 24 hours of his campaign launch. Translation, more than enough to keep the message up on air compared to some other candidates. To better understand Iowa, I spoke with Tom Beaumont, a Des Moines-based Associated Press reporter who has covered all the candidates as they have filtered through the state over the years. Tom tells us how Iowa went for voting for Barack Obama twice to voting for Donald Trump. Here's part of our chat, and Tom really helps us understand this first in the nation caucus state. A lot of people think that it was um, like a rise in strength of the Republicans, that it was more a withering of the Democratic base. Democratic base in Iowa used to be rural progressives, urban and suburban liberals, and a really strong union base uh, down the Mississippi River manufacturing towns from Dubuque down south. They used to build farm implements. UAW was huge here. And between the early 2000s and now, the uh, manufacturing base has dwindled and with it has gone the union base. So there are no more rural progressives. All of those farms have sold and have become you know, corporate farms. And so there aren't those like small farm rural progressives anymore, and there are very few uh, labor Democrats. So it's dwindled. Now you have a uh, state where a Democrat has not been elected statewide uh, since Tom Harkin won re-election for the last time in 2008. So then what does someone like Tim Scott need to do with this ruby red state now, with this growing presidential field? What does he need to do? to get to know these people and get their vote because you know, we know them in South Carolina, but do Iowans know them? Well, I don't think Iowans know them at all, but he presents quite differently than the rest of this emerging field. He obviously presents differently than Trump and DeSantis. They are uh, cultural warriors. Uh, uh, Senator Scott is really dis distinguishing himself by coming across as very optimistic, you know, future forward, you know, we can do this together, tells his story, his, you know, compelling personal narrative. You know, it's, it's really upbeat. Uh, and what you do hear from Trump and DeSantis more, and to a lesser extent the rest of the field, is kind of, you know, just a pummeling of the liberal left, you know. And that seems to be how Scott is trying to distinguish himself. Is that what Iwans want to hear? Is that, are they reacting to that? kind of jumping on the whole cultural war bandwagon. I mean, it seems like that's the drum beat and that's what the polls show. I don't know, we'll see. Because um, you make the interesting point of what polls show. And there are no good Iowa polls yet. I mean, this is where it starts. This is where the whole thing starts to gel. And it's not gonna gel for months. I mean, we don't even have a full-fledged, uh, you know, DeSantis campaign yet, you know? Uh, Tim Scott's making his first you know, his, his first trip here as a candidate. You know, there's there's so much that needs to be sorted out first. Mike Pence hasn't said what he's gonna do. I mean, the field isn't fully formed yet. 
So it's, it's going to take a while for, for what we see in national polls to have some sort of um, context on the ground in Iowa. You just did some reporting about organizing and what it takes to organize in a place like Iowa because it isn't primaries, it's, it's a caucus, which yeah. is just so different. Right. Uh, requires a lot of face-to-face, -face, handshaking, a lot of pressing the flesh, and organizing too. It sounds like you know, DeSantis is already putting a lot of money behind that. Someone like Tim Scott's putting a lot of money behind advertising. Do you have to do, I guess, a little bit of both? Are there different tacks or ways to approach this, and is one better than the other? They kind of have to go hand in hand, but you know, organizing is always, you know, people say you really got to organize to get those people out to those evening meetings in the dead of winter. That's if you have something to catch. That's if you have a momentum, a candidate with momentum to actually catch that momentum. Uh, if, you, if, you're, if you're organized to the hilt and nobody is interested in what you're selling, you know, that, that's not going to do you any good. The, the, I come back to the Obama campaign. They were really smart. They built out this huge organization, had crowds uh, at their events, filtered through all the people that were attending, got their information, and then he got hot. And so they had an apparatus to catch his momentum. Um, in 2016, Trump did not have an apparatus to catch what was his momentum. They left a lot of votes on the floor because they weren't following up on people that were showing up at their events and you know, demonstrating interest. And so they finished second. They're doing it different this time. It's hard to be new twice, so we'll see. But Tim Scott does not have that problem because he is new now and he presents differently. That was Iowa-based AP reporter Tom Beaumont. Now, I know I didn't have myself mic'd up. I apologize. But folks, campaign trail life is a lot more run and gun. I just make it look pretty, okay? I also know Tom spoke about not having quality polling data out of Iowa yet. But I think he manifested it because shortly thereafter, Emerson College released an Iowa poll showing among all Iowa voters that former President Donald Trump commands the field at 62% followed by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who just announced this week, at 20%, and former Governor Nikki Haley and former Vice President Mike Pence tied at 5%, followed by Scott at 3%. Again, very early, like we heard Tom Beaumont say. And just a little tidbit, though, top issues facing Iowans are similar to those elsewhere, with the economy leading at 31%, followed by education, threats to democracy, immigration, abortion access, and health care. From the Hawkeye State, I flew to the Granite State, that's right, New Hampshire. And as a side note for pity, I'm just going to do this right here really quick. I drove two and a half hours from Sioux City back to Des Moines, slept for maybe four hours, jumped on a 5.30 a.m. flight to D.C., then up to Manchester, got my rental, scoped out Manchester before scooting to nearby St. Anselm College, where Senator Scott was at the New Hampshire Institute of Politics, talking to roughly two dozen members of the New Hampshire Federation of Republican Women. Here he is. I kind of believe that the good Lord in his infinite wisdom allowed me to have a miserable start so that when I look back and then I look forward in our nation, I understand the misery uniquely that comes with broken pieces and a broken family and a broken heart. Putting those together for our nation is my responsibility so that I don't waste any pain in my life. It serves as a purpose for my future and I hope in many ways for the future of this country. He said, you may see the pain of your present, but it may reveal the purpose of your future. And so I've taken those and tried to craft an opportunity agenda where we talk about the importance of school choice, 
so that every parent has a choice, every child has a chance. Talk about restoring confidence in the American people by giving you your money back through tax reform. Talk about securing our southern border so that 70,000 fewer Americans die from fentanyl overdoses. Things that we can do to make America stronger and more resilient, starting at home, but also abroad. We should secure our future through excavating energy here at home and continue to have an all-of-the-above strategy on our energy policies. If I was President of the United States, and hopefully I will be in just a, less than two years, I would make my first day signing the XL Keystone Pipeline to finish the process that we delayed under President Biden. I spoke with some of those in attendance about what they thought about Senator Scott's message, including Linda Payette, who previously worked on the Trump campaign in the state. Senator Scott to be very inspirational, and I see him as a a person of faith, and I think faith is going to carry us through in these hard times that our country is experiencing right now. And he's a, he's a man with strength, and he carries that armor of God on him all the time, and, and I think we, he's refreshing. We need a refreshing look. We need a refreshing face, somebody that really is sincere, and I feel he's really sincere. Of course, like in Iowa, voters in New Hampshire are still checking out all the candidates as they come through, pressing the flesh, seeing them up close, and learning about them as they gear up for the first in the nation primary early next year. Rita Madison of Dublin, New Hampshire, sums up her process of evaluating them as such. As far as the field right now, I don't think there's anybody I would totally dismiss. Any candidate that is the Republican nomination for president, I will be voting for. Um, as far as who it's going to be right now, I don't know who I'm leaning towards. I really don't have a, you know, you want that. And, you know, Tim Scott's great, but I just heard him, so he's my guy. <laughs> so uh, who I go see tomorrow might be my guy, you know. So that's what happens is, you know, you get the emotional thing, but you got to come down to the facts. The facts matter, not just what you feel about it, you know, and how great they look. I know Tim keeps saying he's not the He's not the best looking guy in the family or whatever, but he's, he's a riot. <laughs> so anyway, so I am looking for someone who believes in the Constitution, believes in God, um, believes in our country, believes that people should be working for their living and not just taking a handout. Um, you know, I want people that love our country to be in charge of our country, not, you know, giving it away for free. For additional perspective on the unique nature of New Hampshire politics, I spoke with St. Anselm College, New Hampshire Institute of Politics Executive Director, Neil Levick. Here's part of our interview, and he starts off by telling me why New Hampshire is so important and how presidential politics have changed over the decades. Well, New Hampshire, you know, there's other states, too, that have, that have had, you know, early primaries or caucuses and things. But the reason why New Hampshire is really important is that New Hampshire really vets candidates. You have to come into this state and meet with voters, take their questions, take their follow-up questions. And it's not a state where a big endorsement carries any weight whatsoever. And it's not a state where money buys votes. And tragically, you know, across the country today, if you, if you raise a lot of money, that equals the fact that you're going to win that state. Not so in New Hampshire. You have to campaign here. And really what it does is it makes you a better candidate. It produces a better candidate for the parties because you want, if you're a member of a party, you want to have the strongest candidate to go forward to a general election. 
So have we changed or have candidates just adapted when we look at how Donald Trump has affected races going forward, specifically 2024? Are we seeing folks trying to become the next Donald Trump, but maybe a lighter version like a DeSantis? Or, you know, what about a guy like Senator Tim Scott, who's really trying to play that good guy card and be, you know, uniting and trying to be optimistic? Can you even do something like that in 2024? Absolutely. And I think presidential elections always evolve and change. And so you always see, particularly in general elections, where you know you go from somebody like Nixon to Carter, two different types of personalities. And then Carter, who's wearing a sweater and lowering the heat, to the glitz of the Hollywood star of Ronald Reagan. So you do have these switches back and forth, and I think that we'll probably see that again. I think what people always forget, and particularly political scientists always try to put people in lanes, but when you ask regular voters who they like and who they want to vote for, it's really who they like. And a lot of that has to do with raw political talent, which is always overlooked. Who is really good on the stump? Who can make a good communication speech? Who, who's likable? And people forget that, particularly political scientists or pollsters who are looking at this stuff. And so... We always forget that, but you take a candidate like a Bill Clinton from a small state, you know, no one's ever heard of him, but he had raw political talent. And that's what really did it for him. So just with that being said there, Neil, you know, what's it take to win a place like New Hampshire versus a place like South Carolina? Kind of give us a little idea about the politics in New Hampshire for folks that don't know New Hampshire politics. Well, I think South Carolina is all about endorsements. So if you get the Clyburn endorsement, for example, like Biden did, you'll win South Carolina. That's what they are betting on. Um, there's also more of a religious tone to South Carolina elections, I believe. New Hampshire is one of the most agnostic states in the nation. So campaigning uh, on a heavily religious sort of background uh, has not necessarily worked in New Hampshire. It's a different kind of thing than in the South and places like South Carolina. I think the main thing in, in New Hampshire is you got to go out, you got to show up. You got to take the questions. You got to show that you're authentic, but you got to show that you're ready for the job. And they're going to be fighting for people here in New Hampshire. And so that could be a Bernie Sanders who really was authentic to the voters. They liked him. They thought that he was fighting for them at all times. Or it could be a John McCain type of candidate. Same type of voter will vote for each one of those people. Now, you guys might have noticed that I did mic myself up that time, huh? Not bad for two time zones and four hours of sleep. I know AT is very happy. Like Iowa and New Hampshire, the road to the White House also runs through South Carolina, and we'll continue to occasionally travel to the early voting states to cover our two homegrown candidates on the trail, as well as continue to bring you coverage of the growing field of Republican presidential candidates who make their way through South Carolina including Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who will visit the state next Friday as part of his multi-day swing through the early voting states. Welcome to the wind down section, our little break from the news, and we're glad you're here, folks. This is our chance to talk about all the things that are not news related and give everyone a break from the constant news cycle or that Spoleto life. Am I right, A.T. Shire? Oh, yes. I'm so glad that you made me come to this, Gavin. Yes, um, live from Charleston, <laughs> our boy. 
Who AT just uh, blessed us with his presence? Oh, you're welcome, everyone. Okay, because this this was a lot. All right. Yeah, I know. I know. I appreciate you being here. Uh, I mean, as much as I needed pity during this taping, I know you also need a lot of love and support too. It's uh, just started, Gavin. You're winding down from your trip. My trip. It's literally the first day. It's literally the first day. <laughs> oh. Well, um, would we got any voicemails? What do we What do we got? The good news, Gavin, is we got a voicemail. Oh, that's good. That is good news. And it's really great for you. This one really, this is a Gavin-centric voicemail. It's short, sweet, to the point, and it's all Gavin all the time. So are you ready? Um, Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. All right, let's go. Sure. Hey, Gavin. It's me, Jamal Jackson from Monk's Corner, just giving you a call. I like your show, like what it's about, like what I'm hearing. Uh, Enjoy getting a perspective that I don't hear too much. Um, I know Post and Courier has a podcast that I listen to, and they gave you a little shout-out. So now I'm here, and I want to experience this journey with you. Thanks again for your work, and hope to hear your next episode. Bye. Thank you, new listener Jamal, and of course to the Post and Courier for a shout-out. A few people, I don't know if you guys know, uh, maybe some of our longtime listeners do know that I used to work at the Post and Courier, so Mm -hmm. uh, love those folks over there, love Understand SC. Uh, Different kind of podcast, but we appreciate everyone in the podcasting realm, especially those in South Carolina. So uh, I think we all hey, occupy our you, own lanes. You say you say to support your newspapers at the end, okay? That's all. This is all part of it. That means I'm listening legally to the obligated. pods too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yes, Gavin working at the PNC. That's a that's settled lead law right there. Yeah, and ancient just lore. Couldn't be happier to be at SETV for the past six years now. Oh my god. Oh, yes, and this is this is episode uh, 425 of this podcast. Yes. And <laughs> and as people probably heard that we got Mayan Schechter coming from the state newspaper to come work Ooh. at SE Public Radio. She'll be starting later this month, uh, later June, I should say. And we are just yeah. super excited for her. Uh, Ancient friend of the pod, old friend of the pod, yes. Mayan Schechter. So happy that she will be occupying a uh, office. Right Two down offices you. down. See, it goes AT. It goes AT best. AT number one best. <laughs> BB then, it, it, then you go all the way to the bottom. Next one, Vince Cold Blue go. And then you go back number <laughs> number two, back way up to my aunt. She's going to be right there. Vince, is, it's more of like a, uh, not even a closet. It's like the Harry Potter under the stairs. That's where we put Vince. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, we mostly, I, I store all my uh, extra shoe, like dirty socks and shoes in his office. And, and it's uh, just, it's, there's brooms, there's a mop. I think it's just he's yeah. okay with it. We've asked. He's like, I, uh, I, this I, can, I can never. I always look in there. Can never find him. It's dark. It's stinky. It is. It's it weird. Smells. Oh, but um, you know, it's always wrappers <laughs> and candy corn. Oh, I mean, it's like it's like ET with candy corn, like trying to lure you into his office. <laughs> he's gonna call us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's uh, the defamation lawsuit we, just we got new material. <laughs> we continue to defame Vince Colbugo. Yes. You know, he's a public figure, and that's that threshold's way higher. <laughs> yeah, uh, there. This is First Amendment stuff, people. This is yeah. easy. We got so, lawyers on retainer anyway. And so. I hate that the folks need to hear about it. But I know it's so internal, but you guys just need to know how difficult it is to work with him. <laughs> <laughs> so, Gavin, what what was your favorite thing in each state? What did, what did you see oh, this time, or was it or, or was it just like pedal to the metal work? For it you? was way more pedal to the metal this go around. Um, mm-hmm. I will say 
things I look forward to in, in Iowa, at least, is like, and it's kind of lame, but when you're driving on Interstate 80, they have these giant windmills, right? Like the giant, wind, you know, turbines, wind, wind turbines. Wind turbines. And they are just so mesmerizing when you're driving. And then at <laughs> night, they, they all blink in unison. So there's like fields of them, right? They're all kind of scattered about. And so when they all blink, it's like this synchronized firefly type thing. And it's just kind of okay. wild to see. So um, if Gavin ever crashes on the road, it's because he's been mesmerized by turbines. Yes. <laughs> he's like deer think, in headlights. Uh, what else happened? I, I've just been, it's just been such a blur. I stayed um, at the same place I stayed in Iowa, so that was convenient. Um, didn't really do You're, much local stuff. I didn't have any pizza this time. I just went to Trader Joe's to get groceries. Thank God. Um, what a good decision. I just like, I mean, how much longer till you're an Iowan? Because at yeah. this point, am I a Charlestonian? I don't know. I've, I've basically lived in Charleston for a year, one month mm -hmm. at a time. And now Iowa was like 85 degrees. It was hotter there than it was in South Carolina. So complete 180 Gross. from when I was there in like February when it was like 18. But then uh, you're talking about being an Iowan. I would actually prefer to be a folk, uh, New Hampshirean because it was... Mm. It's just so quaint here. It's like the Northeast. You know, it's really nice. They got nice. lobster rolls. It's See, nice. It's on, it's, it's on it the was ocean. Refreshing. Like, come on. It's yeah, nice. it was refreshing. I wasn't landlocked. I had such a long travel day, right? So I flew in, and then I, like, landed, and then I had to go and go and go. And then I got to the hotel. A really nice Best Western. I've never really seen a Best Western. Really nice. Another another, another novel sentence first ever <laughs> uttered on this podcast. <laughs> a, but a I really checked nice in. Best Western. And this really nice woman who, with her, her thick Boston accent was like, give yeah. me the lowdown. She's like, and by the way, there's like this, this brew pub across the way, really good. And I was like, oh my God, that's all I need right now after a day like this. Exactly. Like, I right. went to my room and I laid down in quiet for like a solid hour. Then I'm like, okay, I need a couple beers. <laughs> so if, Get myself I, if we're, together. If we're so ranking just, yeah. Iowa landlocked, New Hampshire not landlocked. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. I gotta give I gotta give accent to New Hampshire too, right? Mm -hmm. Accent in New Hampshire way better. And I had um I've had I went to this red arrow diner, which is I guess a little bit of a stop. It's definitely a dive type greasy spoon love here that. in Manchester. And uh, uh, interesting menu, a lot of stuff on the walls. There's a Guy Fieri signed poster on the wall. They've been here, <laughs> divers, drive-ins, and dives. And I was like, oh, my God, this is the energy I need right now. I had an interesting yes. sandwich. Uh, I had some poutine. So um, it was very good in, in a way. Then I told people I went there, like, oh, you actually – you actually ate? <laughs> it definitely was a rock in my stomach for most of the day. <laughs> well, on that note, Gavin, it's so great to talk to you. Yes. I hope you have a good trip home to South Carolina. I do Come too. visit me in yes. Charleston. We have to tape I'm, in Charleston. I need to relieve you and get I'm some desperate green. for attention. I'm a lonely, lonely man who only works. Put me out of my okay, misery. Okay, enough of that. End this, end <laughs> this show. Thank you, Jamal. Please call in. Do yeah. the credits. <laughs> Do like Jamal and leave us a message at 803-563-7169. Or you can also show us your appreciation by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. And you can stay up to date with the latest news on SCTV.org and SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. And don't forget to support your local newspapers. For the South Carolina lead, I'm Gavin Jackson. Be well, South Carolina. Like looking at me, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> it's a podcast studio, honey. Ever heard of it? Uh, okay. <laughs>